listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind. So this is part two of a two-part series on ACB Advocacy Update. So I'm assuming you're back because you enjoyed part one, which is awesome. So this is part two of a podcast all about education and more specifically about parents being able to work with their kids at home to educate them during the COVID crisis because we all know that parents are playing a bigger part in the education of their children um, now that children are having to go to school remotely. So we hope you enjoy it. Um, Before we jump in, as always, if you have any advocacy needs, please reach out. You can email me at advocacy at acb.org, and we will definitely help in any way we can. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Council for the Blind's podcast, At Home Learners with CVI. My name is Ellen Cadigan Maisel, and I am the director of the CVI project at Perkins School for the Blind. This is really unprecedented times. We're all scrambling to find the new normal in this pandemic. Caregivers, parents, are balancing their own jobs with concerns about finances, medical needs, meal prep, and getting resources like food and medicine. And now they're being tasked as primary educators of their children. The children have lost their structure their teachers, their therapists, their friends, and they face that uncertainty of, when am I going to get go, get to go back to school? Teachers are scrambling to create these online resources and access for students that respect the demands that are impacting all the parents. But the good news is that parents have always been the child's primary educator. Your instincts are always good when deciding what's best for your child. Your home also provides that wonderful natural environment that fosters the best kind of learning. So education is really going to look different. Even though we're really focused on CVI here, many of the ideas will be applicable to all students with visual impairments, whether it be ocular conditions or CVI, because inaccessibility to learning is inaccessibility to learning. I've identified some key areas and I've given you just some sample ideas to get you started. Really, rather than trying to do it all, please just choose one and do that, only that one consistently. That will provide the best and most solid learning opportunity for your child. If that activity done well, it can be the building block to engage your child at a higher level with more expanded learning. So I'm going to talk about supports in two kinds of ways. Um, In one category, we have the set it and forget it ideas. These are the kinds of learning opportunities that you might create, and they can be used repeatedly by the child independently to learn. So active learning would be an example of that set it and forget it kind of activity. And then we have do it and learn it. These are routines that you would create in the day with various levels of support that would keep your child engaged in learning and keep your child engaged in the family. We all learn about what we care about. So all learning that we try in this home environment is going to be based on what the child likes. We're all like this. We all learn best when we care about what we're learning. It's engaging and it's fun and people will stick with you longer 
if you choose learning around what kids care about. So elements of the activity or the object are more likely to be recognized if it's already a favorite thing. It can be recognized visually or auditorily or tactily, but it is a favorite. So we know that there's the better chance that that child's going to have better skills around that preferred item. And it allows you to meet them at that familiar place with a familiar material. And from there, we're going to think about building other skills. Once we've once we've met them, we can build those lateral skills based on the fact that the child is engaged. So just take a minute and think about what your child likes. You're going to build all the learning around what your child likes. So what games do they like? What kinds of activities do they like to do in the home? What kinds of foods, song, clothes? Uh, what people do? What things with them that they enjoy? Uh, what are their favorite uh, home games and activities, books, iPad apps, uh, toys? And these are going to be the basis for learning and the basis of balancing the day. So if we're basing their learning on things that they like and we're asking them to do something slightly harder, we're going to, in the um, next activity, provide them with more things that are even uh, more fun for them, just as a reward for working hard. So some of the key elements we think about when we think about children with CVI is that we have these uh, two concerns. We have concerns about those children who really lack visual attention. So if they do look at anything, the looking is brief or the looking is limited or um, uh, the looking is not consistent in all visual fields. So we need to have this visual attention if we're ever going to get to the, point, to the point where they can begin to recognize things. So the goal for the children without visual attention is we just want them to be looking. So if we have a philosophy throughout the day that we're going to present things for these children to look at, and when they look, we give them lots of praise and then go on with the activity. So we're building this visual attention. The more consistent it is, the more it's done on a routine, uh, the child will begin to be able to look longer, and that's when we have the possibility that visual recognition can be de begin to develop. For other children, the issue is that they might be learning, uh, they might be looking, they might have visual attention, but their visual recognition really is where we need to have that work. So we're, our goal is to expand those sort of visual attack skills that they have in order to identify something new that they've never seen before. So that would be their goal there. And of course, all the elements for all children with visual impairments with CVI or ocular conditions is that we're really using any of the vision that's available, but also linking to compensatory skills. Because I believe so many of the children really rely on those compensatory skills in order to learn. So we have to use them in concert with any kind of visual um, uh, abilities that they have. When we think about the visual behaviors, this is a, a little bit of a review. Um, this is from Dr. Gordon Dutton, Christine Roman, um, Craig Hoyt, Els Ortibus. These are some of the visual behaviors that are noted. Uh, children with CVI have uh, used color in a certain way. Sometimes they use color in order to identify things. Sometimes they use color to find things against complexity. Sometimes they use color to find things at distance. Color is very, very important for them um, because it's the most important element of uh, an object for them. 
So we have to understand um, how color impacts them. We also know that light is important for children with CBI. We know that their attention to light can distract them, so we want to make sure that we block that. And we also know that backlighting or lighted materials help them. So we want to use those sorts of materials for children that need that level of attention around light. They need increased time to explore things and increased time to re, um, respond by looking at things. And once they've looked, they need increased time to understand what they're looking at. So we have to really understand the pacing of our instruction for children with CVI. We know that children have visual field difficulties. We know they have difficulties using their vision when anything else is going on. So if there's sound, they have a difficult time uh, using their vision. If there's vibration, if someone's touching them, if they're being moved, if they're not solidly seated, all of these will interrupt their ability to look. So um, thinking about that, um, those visual behaviors. We understand that motion is important for children, sometimes to get their visual attention. And uh, so it's also one of those friend and enemy things. It might help them gain their visual attention, but too much motion around them can distract their visual attention. So we want instruction to be in parts of a room that are less complex with less movement happening around them so that that's not distracting for them. We want nice, clean backgrounds because complexity of the background matters for children. They have difficulties with aperception. That means they cannot recognize new things. They cannot bring those attack skills, those new visual attack skills to figure out um, uh, what new things they're, they're seeing. So maybe they can identify their own cup perfectly fine, but then a cup they've never seen before is not recognized. They have no visual attack skills in order to figure out what they're looking at. They also have um, difficulties with access to people. Um, they don't really have a good facial regard, and therefore they don't really understand uh, facial expressions, nor do they recognize folks. So really they have difficulty accessing who's in the room, who's around them. This is going to be a little bit different at home because you have fewer people. Um, you have more predictable situations. This is, it's, it's a benefit of being at home because there's less, uh, less new folks uh, coming around to interact with them. They have difficulties with different kinds of symbol form. Sometimes children need to have real three-dimensional objects in order to look. Some children can then uh, use photographs, but they don't understand cartoon-like drawings. They don't understand black and white drawings. Um, so uh, we have to understand what is the best form for them to, uh, to look at, what's the uh, best symbol forms for literacy. Um, we also know that children uh, benefit from solid color items because if an item is all one color, that color holds together that object and allows them to recognize it more e easily. Then they would recognize a multicolored item with many colors that breaks up the surface and does not allow them to uh, perceive it in as one object. Um, they have difficulties accessing distance learning. So that incidental learning the environment. Of course, this carries over much with all children with CVI, that incidental learning that's missed. So for children with CVI, it's um, distance could be a problem. So they're not seeing things happening at distance, understanding what's going on around them at distance. Uh, sometimes they lack that incidental learning because of visual attention or visual recognition. Sometimes that incidental learning is happening outside their visual fields or happening with things that are too close together 
Um, Dr. Dutton talks about that as simultaneacnosia. Maybe they have an inability to take in a whole scene, so therefore just portions of um, the scene are available to them. Children with CVI also have problems with the number of things seen at one time, how things are arranged, or the spacing of things. So uh, some children can only handle one thing at a time to look at it. Some children can ha handle two or three or four, but if things get much more crowded than that, they no longer can find and identify the object that they want. Sometimes the arrangement of um, things scattered on a tray is difficult for children to understand, but yet if you've lined them up in a logical way, children can access things um, better because of the arrangement on the surface. And spacing matters. Spacing between items is going to be very important for children. And we also know they have difficulty with visual motor skills, not only eye-hand, which would be sort of the, the reaching, but also eye-foot, so that um, uh, stepping uh, from one surface to another, crossing over boundaries on the floor, all of those are visual behaviors talked about by the theorists. So um, when we think about these visual behaviors too, it's positioning for best learning. So are they in solid positions? Are things in their best visual field? We want to think about facing them while we're interacting with them in learning or while they're doing independent learning to face them towards a um, part of the room that has reduced, uh, reduced complexity of the background. Um, so you might think about where there's two intersection, uh, intersecting walls in your house that are non-complex, and that may be that student's place to play or that student's place to learn, um, because it would be non-complex, allowing them to really focus on the learning at hand. Um, we want to understand um, the impact of light, whether light is going to distract them, in which case we'd want to also pick a section of the room that did not have access to overhead lighting or distracting lighting. And we want to present things on backlighting because that helps children uh, hold children's visual attention. But then you have an, you have a, an item on that light uh, for learning, so it becomes your friend. We want to provide pacing not only for visual location, but for exploration. For that child to have time to turn that object, turn that material into all different kinds of perspectives because that visual brain needs to learn those different perspectives. So we have to provide pacing for exploration and for learning. We want to create predictability also. So the more um, whatever activity you uh, create, um, make it very predictable. We all benefit from prediction when we think about our visual abilities. So I, if I'm looking for my toothbrush, I know it's always kept on the surface in the bathroom. I don't have to look all over the bathroom in order to find it because of predictability. Toothbrushes appear on counters in the bathroom. I don't have to spend any visual energy in finding that toothbrush due to that predictability. And so children with CVI need that predictability even more. So we want to make sure we've created these predictable sequences for children to learn. And these are done through building these routines. And again, don't build a million routines because you won't be able to pull it off. Pick one, pick two, as many as your family can handle. We want to provide literacy based on this visual information and on compensatory experiences and really think broadly about the idea of literacy. Literacy is just really understanding symbols. And we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into some examples. And we want to think about building independence at the child's level. So what are 
what is happening uh, in the house, in the home, that um, is a place that we could stop doing, stop helping? Uh, where is there a, an opportunity for independence? That's at the child's level and obviously below their frustration level. So thinking very much about um, where that, um, where that uh, opportunity might, might occur. So when we think about CDI access, we're going to think about using solid colored materials. When we want to highlight a certain part of an object, we might use color in order to grab visual attention to that specific area. So maybe the hairbrush, um, it's unclear where, where that child's supposed to reach for the hairbrush, so putting some color highlighting on the handle would help draw their visual attention to where they were supposed to reach. We want to place objects in their best visual field. We want to think about quiet environments and um, challenging one uh, sense at a time. We're going to use motion to gain attention, but also think again about limiting the motion around the child that's distracting to them. We're going to use non-complex backgrounds for learning. Uh, introduce them to who's in the room or who's at the table and how feelings might be connected to, to um, a voice that they might have heard by labeling that. And we're going to use the correct accessible form. If a child can only see real objects and understand the real objects, then those are what we're going to be using for literacy, um, for all activities, and for symbols. If it's photographs, then we can use familiar photographs, but we want to really be avoiding any line drawings, any symbolic icons, um, any of the, um, the things that do not look like the real item. Because remember, it's visual recognition that's challenging for students with CVI. So the more it looks like the real item, that flat photograph um, represents the real item. The more it looks like that real item, the better the child will be able to recognize it. So we're going to pick um, three home activities. If we make a symbol for each one, whether it be the item itself, um, that item mounted on a little card or background, a picture, uh, the printed word or braille, whatever symbol that you want to use that would give, again, an opportunity for literacy for the child to um, understand that, that form, that symbol for the activity. This would also allow you to um, put this into some sort of schedule of the day that the child can access and know what's going to happen next. So let's think of three activities like helping at home, um, some activities around eating, and then the idea of active learning. Um, helping at home keeps kids connected, uh, keeps kids um, engaged, and again, think about things that they might like to do. Lots of kids with CVI like to do laundry for some reason. I'm not quite sure why, whether it's the movement or the vibration, or but laundry seems to be a favorite for um, many of the children that I work with. Um, activities around eating um, are, seem to be very important, and I think it's uh, very true that many children with CVI, some of the first things they begin to recognize are their spoons and cups and food packages that they see repeatedly um, because eating happens so regularly in, in, in such a um, strong context. So I thought that might be a good place to add some, um, some activities at home for learning. And then the idea of active learning. And these are um, good opportunities for um, building understanding, building concepts, um, making sure the child has access at all times. So those would be the three areas we're going to think about. We're also basing 
um, all of our thoughts around the expanded core curriculum. And these are the nine areas that are um, instructional areas that are very important for children with visual impairments. So obviously um, using compensatory skills is very important in communication modes, academic skills, and, then, and there'll be so much literacy, so much language, so much math in any of the activities that you um, choose to create for your child. Uh, orientation and mobility is another expanded core area. Uh, social interaction skills, independent living skills, recreation and leisure, career education, use of assistive technology, sensory efficiency skills, and again I think about um, all the compensatory skills plus the visual skills, and self-determination, having some ability to control what's in their world, what's happening. So if we think about helping from home, and again we're going to base this on what is already enjoyed by the child, and it can be adapted at absolutely any level that a child is operating at. So again, create a symbol for this because um, you can use that as a, um, uh, a visual target for the child to alert them to what's going to be happening next. They'll begin to recognize that as a literacy material, whether it's a whole object you're going to show them, or a word, or the braille, or a picture, um, whatever you're going to show them uh, to create visual access to that literacy around that symbol of what the activity will be. In this case, it will be some activity about helping at home. We're going to show that to the child, and we're going to exp explain what it looks at. Uh, looks like. So for many children with um, uh, visual impairment, we are very good about explaining how something feels and explaining how something sounds, but we're not always very good about explaining uh, the visual attributes. We really want to talk to children about what those visual attributes are. Is it tall? Is it short? Is it green? Is it blue? Um, is it thick? Is it thin? We're going to be explaining those visual attributes also when we show them to a child. So one job might be getting the mail. Some children will be able to get the mail independently. They'll be able to leave the house, go to the mailbox, and return with the mail. Um, other children may have to have that facilitated and the job just becomes watching you as you open the mailbox, gaining their visual attention when you open the mailbox, and then maybe holding the mail as you go back to the house. So again, any of these can be created at the child's level of ability. Um, other things that you might um, do is having the job of gathering supplies for an activity in the house, gathering the supplies for bathing or for playing a game. Um, there might be a specific cabinet in the bathroom that you put color highlighting on, and that's where all those supplies are, are kept. Um, so that color highlighting is going to gain that visual attention. Um, other children might just be at the level where they can push things into containers um, and, and then use that container to travel with you to the bathroom. So again, every single one of these activities can be adapted for the level of a child's visual abilities um, and for the child's physical abilities. We want children not only to gather supplies, but then put those supplies back. And that's the whole idea, again, about prediction. If, you, um, if the child never knows where you keep things and isn't participating in putting them back, they're not really aware of where these things are in the house and how they can get to them in an independent way. So uh, putting away the supplies that you've gathered, you've gathered, then used, putting away those supplies onto shelves, cabinets, 
um, closing those containers, pushing the items into the bin, dropping them into the box, whatever level a child is at, um, all engages them in this um, activity and they're using their vision and their auditory skills, their compensatory skills of all kinds. Maybe a child's job is to call people to dinner. Maybe a child's job is to call people to an activity. They might be able to do that uh, verbally or on an iPad, on a switch. You can begin to um, uh, create time through the day that children are, that, you know, it's 12 o'clock, now you're going to call them for lunch, or at 6 o'clock you're going to call them for dinner, starting to connect the activity with the time of the day. And if you had um, a, a, a clock or some sort of a, um, a watch that was accessible, that would also give a child access to time. So now you're crossing into, into some math skills. Maybe the um, activity is gathering the trash. Maybe that's done independently or again, um, done uh, together and any level of participation for the child is, is at their level. Well, pet care is another place that we can think about um, helping at home. Just the simplest of jobs, the simplest of uh, simplest um, kinds of engagement in that. Um, you can see that these can be done in a fairly, uh, fairly quick way. Um, helping at home really teaches the children organization and that's so connected with predictability and we know that predictability builds visual recognition. You see better when you understand what you're supposed to see in that particular activity. Um, these helping at home activities teach math, those one-to-one -one number skills, language skills like next to, on top of, long, short, um, all these helping at home activities use um, visual and compensatory skills. Repeating those activities every single day will build visual recognition linked to those compensatory skills. You can build literacy. You can make books about taking a bath. You can gather elements of that and use them in a story box. You have those symbols that we've created for that activity that you're showing the child every time before that activity starts. And then as a follow-up, maybe you um, go online and look at some published books that might be available and um, uh, available on YouTube so that there's some character that's doing the laundry or some character who's getting the mail or um, a story about a mailman or a story about um, a child taking care of a cat if that has been what you chose uh, as a job for your child. And these are all tied to that recreation and leisure part, uh, part of the um, expanded core curriculum. We're going to be in the helping at home activities thinking about concepts like large, light, heavy, small, short, long. Any of the um, activities you're labeling those visual aspects um, that are also tactically explored. Um, helping at home has a huge social uh, has a huge social component to it. Um, and then they could also maybe email a friend or a teacher about their job just to add in some more technology. You can add in self-determination by giving people choices. Do you want to put the mail into the green bucket or the, uh, the, the blue bucket? Um, do you want to go to the mailbox uh, with human guide or using your cane on your own? Um, do you want to do uh, emptying the trash first or do you want to do um, going to get the mail? Again, that self-determination and choices are really important. 
And we think about this helping at home in the context of jobs as well. And we can expand that with some books that are available online or some YouTube. Um, what does a mailman do? Um, what does the what does the um, uh, the trash man do? All these jobs can be expanded for some of the helping at home activities that you might have chosen for your child. If we think about activities around mealtime, and again, we're basing this very much on what the child enjoys, we're going to be doing this at their level. Again, create a symbol for that. Maybe the symbol for meals is a whole spoon. Maybe it's the word spoon in large print. Maybe it's brailled. Maybe it's a picture of that spoon. But you're going to show that symbol to the child and you're going to explain the visual features. It's um, red, it's long, it's got a scoop at the end, it's a spoon. You're building that visual recognition, you're building some visual attack skills. So maybe um, for meals at home, um, you're gathering supplies for snack, for cooking, for eating, or for setting the table. And again, you can make predictable places in your kitchen for these supplies to appear. Um, and at any level, the child does not have to be completely independent. Whatever they can do is what they do for that particular part of the job, whether it's even just pushing with some help for you to push something into the blender, um, to push that um, to um, uh, push that snack into the bowl, whatever they can do is um, is active, and whatever they can do is participation, and that builds understanding. We've gathered the supplies for snack, cooking, eating, setting the table, whatever, and now you're going to put those supplies away after that activity is done. Again, that prediction, that um, idea of containers, that idea of um, locations in the environment are all um, uh, all built into these activities when we use um, not only gathering the supplies but then also putting them away. Um, we might think about trash. Can they do that independently or can they um, hold things together? Do they need to hold things together with you to then drop it into the um, into the bucket? If we think about cooking, we can do um, favorite days. We can also give choice making. Do you want a pizza day or do you want a smoothie day? Um, these are um, could also be connected to creating shopping lists. Again, another really good activity. These can be followed up with YouTube um, YouTube stories about um, buying pizza, making pizza, making smoothies, buying smoothies, kids who like smoothies. Any of those are um, in existence on YouTube as follow up uh, follow up independent activities after you have engaged with your child. These teach organization and predictability again. You get your math skills, measuring, language. You use all your visual and compensatory skills. And again, that, that repeated um, access is going to build that visual recognition because you're doing this every single day in a consistent, repeatable manner with um, the consistent, repeatable uh, attributes um, of all the items, the familiar items. You can build this literacy by making lists, making books about that activity, and of course those symbols that you have um, created. You're building all those concepts about three quarters of a cup, uh, large, heavy, small, squishy, whatever color they are. Um, social skills are turn-taking, helping one another, and that self-determination, which snack do you want? And, and again, a child might be able to tell you which one or point to what one, which one, but also we can rely for some children on eye gaze. 
to do some follow-up around the idea of careers in the expanded core curriculum. We can access books online about bakers, chefs, recipes, cooking, uh, mealtime, any of those um, uh, expanded concepts. The idea is that we're providing visual access. So if we're um, doing some sort of cooking activity, we're showing the package. Um, we don't want to get, we don't want to, even though the child might be very impacted, we need to actually show them the packages um, that we want them to begin to recognize. We don't just put these things under their hands. We want to give them access visually first and certainly explore with the um, um, compensatory skills, but really providing that visual access. So that applesauce container before it gets opened, that applesauce while it gets into a bowl, um, we want to make sure we're showing choices. We want to make sure we're showing those functional items that we're using, whether it's the spoon or the clothing or the diaper. Thinking about providing visual access all the time is really important for kids with CVI. So we always want to um, provide this visual access with compensatory support. One really great way um, to build visual access and compensatory um, uh, support is around active learning and I encourage you to look at activelearningspace.org uh, and this is one of those wonderful activities where you put a little bit of time in to create a material but then once it's created um, you can just give it to the child when there's a moment of, of um, uh, a quiet moment in the house and um, you need them to do an activity on their own. Um, the overarching theory of active learning is access all the time. There essentially should be no time in the day while the child is awake that they are sitting somewhere without something to look at, without something to touch, without something to experience. So that's kind of the overarching theory of active learning, that you're presenting materials at near. Now, sometimes you need to tie materials onto a surface in order to keep them in front of the child or to put things up against a wall that's um, accessible for the child. Um, we're able with active learning to present things in themes. So let's say um, you did an active learning tray around uh, cooking. You've just done this nice cooking activity. You can use the measuring cups. You can use the spoons. You can use packages that um, the food came in in order to create a tray that appears in front of a child that can be uh, picked up and explored in uh, a further way. Um, you could think about if, if the job was gathering the mail, you could make an attribute tray about different kinds of envelopes, for instance. And again, you can talk about long, short, big, small um, uh, envelopes. This theory of active learning was created by a woman named Lily Nielsen, who's a Danish psychologist. Um, she had uh, four siblings who were blind, and she thought a lot about how much learning happens beyond the child's visual access and how much they're missing, how much they're really lacking um, connections between items or comparing and contrasting items in their world. Therefore, they're really lacking a lot of meaning. So that was her, her understanding and what she, with her um, theories of active learning, this is what she was trying to provide uh, her brothers and sisters who were visually impaired with materials at all times through, that they could explore and look at, touch, 
uh, taste, put in their mouth, whatever they needed to do to explore it. And that focuses a lot on the action and interest of the child. So really getting away from that idea that we're going to provide children with toys that are push a button, hear a noise, push a button, hear a noise, but think more about exploration. So, you know, more about um, toys and games and materials like nesting cups versus push button toys. So her, her um, please look at that website for some really fabulous ideas. And again, these are ideas you, you can create at home. They don't take a lot of time. Um, but then you have them to use and you can be assured that um, at any single time that you're providing the child with these materials, they are learning even though you're doing the laundry, even though you're doing, um, you're making uh, dinner. So there are active learning spaces on that website, like little rooms, there's elastic boards where materials are tied onto um, surfaces so that children can pick them up, drop them, and then find them, still find them again. Um, there are things called uh, bunchers, which are things you can make in order to hold materials in children's hands. There's some really easy um, ways to make those. Um, there's some ideas for mobiles and mounters, like materials that you can mount, um, uh, mount onto surfaces so that children can always find them, like pegboards or position boards. And then some ideas about resident surfaces. So um, think about um, a nice surface to play on might be a cookie sheet because when you drop something on a cookie sheet, it's going to sound very different than if you drop it on a, a wooden tray or dropped it on um, a plastic tray. So just that idea of um, compensatory skills too, that resident sound on background surfaces for play uh, is really fun. Um, for concepts and themes, again, we've talked a little bit about some books, and there's some some uh, ways to make books in the active learning on that active learning website. Website, and some um, concepts and themes. Um, uh, say you had done cooking, and uh, there were four kinds of um, packages that you used in cooking. You could mount them on a board, and again, the child can explore those different sounds of the packaging the um, sights of the packaging, the smells of the packaging in an active learning um, experience. So they have really nice um, ideas around making trays around like things, attribute trays around like things. So you might think of an attribute tray of um, cups. So maybe the child under only recognizes their own cup and you're wanting to expand the idea to more cups. So you could make a, a tray about different kinds of cups. Um, maybe um, they understand their own toothbrush, but you're trying to expand their idea to other kinds of brushes. So maybe you make an attribute tray of um, toothbrushes and hairbrushes. Um, you can make it around concepts like long things or th hollow things or things you can put your fingers in. Um, so again, these kinds of um, uh, expanding attributes and understanding and exploration. Uh, there's a really nice pattern for making a vest so that the vest can be worn for the child with materials attached on the vest for them to explore, look at, feel, touch, play with. Um, there's wrist attachment ideas. Uh, there's active learning belts, and there's active learning lap cloths, and all of those are um, available on that website to take a look at. So as parents, um, you're going to do the best you can. Um, just embrace the idea that you are um, the best primary teacher for your child, 
that you have, unlike school, where it's the primary job of the teacher to teach your child all day long, um, you're split. You're doing um, many, many different things. You can't do anything. Choose a few things to do really well. Enjoy the time you have with your children. And just remember that if your efforts are fun, uh, your kids won't even know they're learning. So have fun. ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.